Are you guys ready for a word today? Come on, come on, I need to hear you loud. Are you ready for a word today? Yes! Let's get into the word, and really, this series, Famous Last Words, this is a heavy series, and so I begin to think about some funny, famous last words. Come on. Uh, all of these, unfortunately, are men. Come on. I, I, I can't help it. It's just who we are. Amen. Ladies, turn to your man and say, you know who you are. So it's men, folk, but these are famous last words that men said right at the end. One guy said this. His wife was in the kitchen. She was cook- cooking. Come on, how many of you know a cast iron skillet? You remember cooking on those? How many of you still cook on cast iron? Yes, holla at me in Jesus' name. A little cornbread, make it up right. But anyway, he was watching his wife cook cast on a cast iron skillet. She had a new pair of jeans on. He says, honey, those jeans make you look snook. And we never heard from that guy again, amen? The only thing we know is a frying pan went flying across the room. That was it, amen? So if you're a guy in the house, if you're a guy watching online, turn to another guy and say, brother, don't go there, amen? Don't go there. Baby, you look amazing. You look wonderful. Not in the snut. No, we're not going there. Another guy said this. He says, man, listen, I know I'm, a lot, I know I'm not an electrician, but hey, how hard can this be? The next sound we heard was zzz, and he was never heard from again. And then here's the all-time famous one. I know you've probably heard this before. Hey, 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 watch this. Come on. When you hear a guy say that, how many of you know it's game over? You're not passing go. You're not collecting $200. It's over for you. And I begin to think about, you know, last words And if you think about that, there's almost a preciousness to it, right? Like these last words. And so let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought what you want your last statement on earth to be? Have you ever thought about that? Like the the last thing you want to be said coming from you, what is that statement? What do you want it to be? Because every text message you send, every email you write and send, every a uh, person that you speak with, regardless of whether you're happy or sad or angry or mad, every post that you post on social media, you really ought to put special care into what you're saying because if you die after writing that, saying that, posting that, sending that, that will be your last words. And so we're in this series, Famous Last Words. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what would be considered the most famous last words in all of the world, and they were spoken by our Savior, Jesus Christ. They were spoken as He hung on the cross for six hours. Being crucified on Good Friday at 9 o'clock a.m., dying that same day at 3 o'clock p.m., He spent six hours hanging on the cross, and He spoke seven times. Seven statements from the cross. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, really a scripture that resonates with me, says the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. So you can actually say that Jesus' words spoken as he hung on the cross were literally custom-made words for you and for me. And these words that Jesus spoke, they were extra weighty, right? Not, 
Not really because they were his last words, but given the circumstances, you understand that Jesus could have said anything in these last hours. I mean, think about it. Jesus was arrested on Thursday night. He had just had, you know, a meal with his friends. They had supper. They were singing a hymn together. They go out to the Mount of Olives, and it is in this moment Jesus begins to pray. Considering what is coming, he begins to sweat drops of blood. And in that moment, here comes Judas, and Judas comes up. You know the story. He kisses Jesus. He's got all of these soldiers there. They arrest Jesus on the spot. And all of Jesus' friends, the disciples, his boys, the one that says, we'll never leave you. We, we got your back, Jesus. You can count on us. Every one of these guys would abandon him. And at that moment, he was taken to the first of six illegal trials. And you understand that a lot of the Jewish leaders had already made up their mind that he was guilty and he was going to die. And so they're asking people to make up stories to make their accusations stick. Meanwhile, in between these trials, Jesus is beaten repeatedly. They would put a blindfold over him and they would slap him. They would punch him in the face. They would pull his beard out. They pulled a blindfold off and say, prophesy, teacher, which one of us did it? And Jesus wouldn't say anything. And so they would do this over and over and over again. Until finally Jesus was taken before Pilate. And they said, hey, the Jewish leader said, we want this Jesus to die. And you understand the Jews could not execute any of their criminals that had been taken away by the Roman government. And so it was Pilate who would eventually sentence Jesus to die by crucifixion. And the Romans liked crucifixion. They liked it because it was highly visible. Because when you crucify someone, they don't, they don't die immediately. They're, they're hanging on that cross. And over that period of time, they die. And so everyone walking by that scene would look up. And it was really meant to be a deterrent as if to say, don't do what these guys did or you're going to get what they got. Which is why they hung the accused. They hung their crimes over these guys' heads on the cross. They printed them out. And interestingly enough, around the time of Christ, some 30,000 people were crucified. So it was common to walk by this place of crucifixion and see people hanging on the cross. And so here's Jesus. He's standing before Pilate, but, but Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He understood that these Jewish leaders, the only reason why they handed Jesus over was really because of envy. And so Pilate kept trying to get out of it because he didn't want to condemn an innocent man to die. But the Jewish leaders blackmailed him. He said, hey, we'll go over your head. We'll get you in trouble with Caesar if you don't do what we're asking you to do. And so now Pilate's really in a rough spot. Because he knows Jesus is innocent. He doesn't want to condemn innocent blood. But he cares about his life. He cares about his job. So he's, he's in this spot. And so he comes up with this brilliant idea. I'll have Jesus whipped. And so it's at this moment they take Jesus out to the whipping post. They stretch his hands high above his head. And these Roman soldiers begin to whip Jesus with something called the cat of nine tails. And this cat of nine tails has leather straps. And in these leather straps, there is embedded in these straps bone and metal embedded in it. So it would literally tear the flesh off of someone when they hit them. Many times it would expose that person's inner organs. 
So you understand how brutal this was. You understand how bloody of a scene this was. And so after all of that, they, they finished beating Jesus. And the Roman soldiers heard he was, he was royalty. So they put a robe on him and they didn't stop there. They smashed a crown of thorns down on his head. And so they, they, they bring him to Pilate. And Pilate brings him out to everybody. And he makes the classic statement, behold the man. Here he is. I want you to picture in your mind what Jesus may have looked like. Beaten, flesh hanging off, bloodied. Behold, a man, and Pilate's thinking to himself, man, surely these guys are going to be satisfied, but they're not satisfied. They're not satisfied. They begin to shout out, crucify him. Well, such a man is not fit to live on the earth. And so Pilate, in this moment, begins to say, Hey, wait a minute, shall I crucify your king? And they said, No, wait a minute, Caesar. We have no king except for Caesar. They're telling Pilate this. We have no king except for Caesar, which they would have never owned Caesar as their king. But on this day, they were willing to compromise in order to make Pilate take Jesus out. So in this moment, Pilate calls for that basin of water. And you know the story. He begins to wash his hands. And he's saying, guys, I want everybody to know that this man's blood is not on my hands. I want everybody to know, you guys, you Jewish leaders, you guys are the one making me do this. And in that moment, they all begin to yell, his blood be on us and our children. What they were actually saying was, we want everyone to know for all of history... That we're the ones that took Jesus out. So eventually Pilate would say, carry him out and crucify him. So I want you to picture, here's Jesus. He's, he's beaten to a bloody mess. He's exhausted. He's had an extreme amount of blood loss. He's in no shape to carry the upper tier of the cross, which is what they would make the condemned do. 75 to 100 pounds. They would have to carry that upper tier from downtown Jerusalem to the site of the execution, which was roughly about a mile. And so Jesus is there and he keeps falling and stumbling under the weight. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have the strength. And so the Roman guards get tired of having to pick him up and make him carry the cross. So they grab a guy by the name of Simon from Cyrene, which incidentally was a man who was from Africa, and they made him carry the cross. Jesus is dragged to this place called Golgotha. The skull, you may know it as Calvary. The place where many have said this is where the devil did his worst, but where God did his best. The place where people have said the Son of God had to die so the sons of men could live. And it's right here that we pick up the story in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34. It says, when they came to the place that's called the skull, again, Golgotha, Calvary. There they crucified him, speaking of Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, thank you for the moments like this, to be able to come into your house, to be able to open up your word, and to have your word speak to us. Lord, help us today. To understand what you endured, what you went through for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. I said all that, now you understand why I 
had a light moment at the beginning of the service. Crucifixion, when you think about what crucifixion is, it was literally death by suffocation. It wasn't the nails that killed you. It was something called asphyxiation. That's what led to the execution. Because as you're hanging on that cross with your arms stretched as wide as they could stretch them, they're nailed up, you're hanging in midair, all of the pressure begins to get put on your lungs, your inner organs, breathing is impossible, speaking is just as impossible. So if you wanted to breathe, if you wanted to gasp, if you wanted to even speak in this moment, you had to shift the weight from your hands to your feet, which your feet would have been on top of one another with a spike drove through it. There would have been a platform under your feet. It was excruciating, but you could pick yourself up. And I begin to think about this and remember, as you remember Jesus, and you remember the beating he took, you remember what his back looked like, you remember the flesh, and you remember the cat of nine tails, you remember all of that. So now, Jesus, in order to speak, his back is being drugged up and down that rough piece of wood. And so it's in these moments that Jesus talks, do they not become some of the most precious words that are written in all of the Bible? And one of the first things that Jesus says is actually a prayer to God for you and for me. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. You understand forgiveness was his agenda. Forgiveness was on his mind as he went to the cross. That's why the first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. And I begin to think about that statement and think about that prayer, if you would, that Jesus made to the Father. And I begin to think about how can we apply this to our lives. Lord, what are you saying to us in that moment, in that statement, in that phrase? And I believe there's three things we can pull out of this statement. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Here's the first thing I believe that is being spoken to us. And that is forgiveness is our greatest need. Forgiveness is our greatest need. We have a lot of needs, do we not? We have a lot of needs. We need food and clothing and shelter. We need medicine when we're sick. We need hospitals. We need doctors. We, we, we need help for addictions. We need all sorts of things. Marriages are falling apart. Homes are being broken apart. We need a lot of things. But I would submit to you that our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest need is to be made right with God. Because you understand no matter what else you accomplish in life, no matter how great you are, no matter how good you are, no matter what you do in your life, if you stand before God unforgiven, everything else is lost. All that matters is at the end of the day that you and I are ready to meet our maker. Amos chapter 4 verse 12 says we need to prepare to meet God. We have to prepare for that. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Why is that? Because sin is our biggest problem. We've all dropped the ball. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up this thing called life. And that's why Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. And I begin to think about who in this moment is Jesus talking about? 
Is he talking about the Jewish leaders who lied about him? Is he talking about Pilate who condemned innocent blood? Is he talking about Judas who betrayed him? Is he talking about Peter who denied him? Is he talking about the disciples who abandoned them when they needed when he needed them the most? And I would say to you, yes, 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 and yes, but you can't stop there. You see, he was talking about me on that day. He was talking about you on that day. Our names were on his lips that day on the cross. Why? Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all dropped the ball. We've all gone our own way. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus prayed in that moment, Father, forgive them. Why? Because he knew we needed to be forgiven. And there was only one mediator, one individual, one person who could stand before God and make that happen. And that was Jesus Christ. As he hung on the cross with one hand stretched out towards God, the other hand stretched out towards sinful man. And in the midst of all of that, going through what he went through, he was able to bridge the gap and bring us back into relationship with God. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. It's not just so much a physical death as it is a spiritual death. We, we sin, we messed up, and as a result, we, we have been separated from God. And so in this moment, Jesus wasn't just our great high priest. He was also our sacrificial lamb. And he was shedding his blood for you and me. So you understand, he wasn't just praying for forgiveness. He was paying for forgiveness. So that we could have eternal life. So in a sense, you get that Jesus was really the answer to his own prayer. Father, forgive them. Well, something has to die. Because if the wages of sin is death and the soul that sins that surely dies, something, listen, we did the crime, somebody's got to do the time. And it was in that moment that Jesus stood up and said, I know, I'll die in their place. Let me take it. So you understand, he became our whipping board. You understand, he strapped himself to our electric chair. Why? Because forgiveness is our greatest need. But not only is forgiveness... Our greatest need in thinking about what Christ did and what he endured and what he suffered to offer that forgiveness to us. Here's the second thing I believe we get out of this. As a result of the forgiveness Christ offered, forgiveness should flow wherever we go. We should offer forgiveness to others. But think about it. We don't deserve forgiveness. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve God's wrath. But Jesus in that moment took the wrath and turned it into a blessing for you and me. So how should we live in light of this? What should characterize our lives? We should offer forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and have that flowing out of us through other people. Come on, turn to somebody and say, don't stop the flow, yo. Don't stop the flow. You've got to allow it flowing through you. In that moment, listen, we're not just merely meant to receive God's forgiveness. We're meant to retransmit God's forgiveness. 
So if you're keeping the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the favor to yourself, you're stopping the flow. The thing that God wants to come in you and through you is forgiveness and grace and love and favor and mercy. Don't stop the flow. Let it continue to flow through you. So in this sense, Jesus was not just merely performing a rescue mission. He was also being a role model for us on that day. I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. I mean, Jesus is there. He's on that sunny hill. He's preaching. And in the middle of that sermon, he says, Hey, guys, listen. I know you like to treat your enemies badly because that's what you feel like they deserve. He said, but here's... What I want to tell you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. But you understand, talk is cheap, right? I mean, it's easy to say you need to be nice to people who've hurt you. You need to forgive people who've wronged you. It's, It's easy To say that, but here's Jesus hanging on the cross and they're spitting in his face. They're mocking him. They're they're making fun of him. And they're not just content with seeing Jesus die with his back a bloody mess. No, No, they're gathered around the cross and they're saying things like, Hey, I thought you were God. If you're God, you saved others. Why can't you save yourself? Why don't you come down off the cross? So in this moment, in this scene, all this stuff is going on. And at this time, Jesus would shift the weight from his hands to his feet and crawl his back up the cross and speak, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing and in that moment what was he doing he was praying for those who spitefully used him he was blessing those who cursed them he was being good to those who hated him and in doing so he sealed with his blood what he preached with his lips practicing on the bloody hill of calvary what he had preached on the sunny hill at the sermon on the mount and in that moment he says i need for all of you to follow in my footsteps Colossians chapter 3 verse 13, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But let's just be honest. We don't really want God to forgive us like we forgive other people, right? We we, we don't really want that. We want God to forgive us in a whole different way. Like, I want forgiveness from God. I want forgiveness from you. I want to be on the receiving end when people wrong me, when people hurt me, when people abuse me, when people speak bad about me. I want forgiveness, but I don't want to rise up with forgiveness for them. Because I think of it like this, they, they don't deserve it. And God would say, neither did you. And I gave you forgiveness. You understand the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. He forgave us. He loved us. He offered grace to us and mercy to us. And so therefore, we should be willing to allow all of the forgiveness and grace and love to flow through us onto other people. 
We've got to bear the forgiveness of God to the broken people in this world. But that's, that's hard. You ever had somebody to hurt you? You ever had somebody to speak, you know, lies about you? You ever had somebody to abuse you? And now in this moment, I have to, I have to forgive. But, but here's what you have to look at. I want you to look at it this way. These things that happened in your past, because we're not willing to forgive, because we're not willing to let go, they're holding us in a present prison. And we can't live our lives the way God intended us to live because we're held in a present prison. So what happened in my past is holding me in a present prison and I can't get free because I'm not ready to forgive. Louis Augsburg in his book, Caring Enough to Forgive, he said this, God forgives instantly, but we aren't capable of that. See, for most people when it comes to forgiveness, it's really a, a four-stage journey. He talks a lot about this in his book. It's, it's a journey. There's, there's the hurt stage. I can't believe they did this to me. It, it knocks the wind out of you. You don't know if you'll ever get past it. There's, there's the hurt stage. And then the hurt stage moves really quickly to the hate stage. How dare they? Like, I'm going to get them back. Like, I, yeah, yeah, you hurt me. Bubba, you about to get something coming to you. I'm, yes, come on. This is Johnston County. So it's the hurt stage. It's the hate stage. And we're like a pinball. We're constantly, I'm hurt, now I hate. I hurt, now I hate. But then there's got to come the third stage, which quite frankly can only happen with Jesus. It's the healing stage. And that's when divine surgery takes place inside of you, where you begin to separate the act from the person. And you understand real quickly that hurt people hurt people. And so I can't really hold this person accountable because they didn't really know what they were doing. Even though I don't like it and even though I'm hurting and even though there might be a little hatred there, there's got to be some healing to take place. But then there's the fourth stage and that's the healthy relationship restored stage. And that is only possible when both parties are honest about what happened. Most of the time that stage doesn't happen. But you can't stay in the hurt stage. You can't stay in the hate stage. You can't stay in unforgiveness because it will eat out your very life. And it will not go away. You know, people make a statement all the time. They say, time heals all wounds. That ain't true. You ever heard the statement, sticks and stones break my bones, but words never hurt me? That ain't true either. Amen. Mama, you lied to me. But anyway, that's not true. Words hurt. Time doesn't heal all wounds. The only option is forgiveness. That's the only cure that heals those wounds. And you say, okay, Pastor, I, I got it. You know, you're, you're talking a lot today, putting some heavy stuff on me. I'm picking up what you're putting down, all that good stuff. I got you. But I forgave that person, and then I saw him at Walmart. Yeah, I, I was good <laughs> till I saw him at Walmart. And that cart in my hand, all I could picture is a four-by-four pickup truck <laughs> with a granny gear <laughs> running over that person. So what do I do in that moment? I forgave him, but all this stuff's coming up. You know what I would say to you? It's not going to be helpful. Forgive him again. And again, 
and again and again and again. And you may be asking, Pastor, come on, dude. I mean, how many times I got to forgive that person? Peter asked the same question. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. Peter comes up to the Lord. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Like, like seven times, Lord? It's almost like Peter had a little self-righteousness going on here. Like, like seven times, like that's good, Lord, right? Seven times. And what did Jesus say? No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I'm not real big into math. My wife will tell you that. But I've got an app on my phone that's a calculator. And I can add 70 times seven. And you know what that comes up to? 490. How many times should I forgive someone who hurt me, sinned against me, spitefully used me, abused me? How often should I forgive? 490 times a day. Do you know what that equates to? That's 2.93 seconds every minute. Every, let's just round it up. Every three minutes, I forgive you. Three minutes, I forgive you. Walmart, I forgive you. You come down the aisle, there they are again. I forgive you. You're in the checkout line. Guess who pops up behind you? I forgive you. You go out to your car thinking it's finally over, I'm free, and here comes Miss Thing parked right beside you. I forgive you. God is amazing in the fact that when we confess our sins, the Bible says He forgives us of our sins, takes our sins, casts them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember them again. But for you and I, it's a process. It's the hurt stage, the hate stage, the healing stage, the healthy relationship restored stage because God, in His grace, in His mercy, provided forgiveness for me so therefore I have to be willing to provide forgiveness and let it flow through me wherever I go but here's the third one the most important one about all of this is this forgiveness that Jesus offered this forgiveness that Jesus says hey I need it to flow through you this forgiveness must be accepted I got to be willing to accept in Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, we, we see Jesus doing His part, right? We see Him taking care of everything that is necessary to receive the forgiveness that He offers. But Jesus is a gentleman. He knocks at the door of our hearts, but He's not going to force us to be saved. He's not going to force us to be Forgiven. He offers us forgiveness, and the cross is what makes all of that possible. But can I be honest with you? Now the ball's in your court. You've got the ball. You've got to choose are you willing to accept the forgiveness that Christ has offered? So I want to kind of end with, with kind of this, this last question. Do you want to be forgiven? You ever, you ever, you ever messed up? 
for, for all of our, our spouses in the house have, men, have you ever done something wrong? And your wife? Come on. I can see some of you men right now. You're going to plaster that scripture in Matthew and say, baby, 490, girl. 490. You're going to write that across your bathroom window. You're going to put it on. You're going to put a sticker on her car that says 490. People are like, what that mean? She ain't going to tell you what it means. When you do something wrong to hurt the one you love, you want to be forgiven. Because until that forgiveness comes in and takes place, that relationship can't be restored. So I ask you again this question for those of you online, those of you in person. Do you want to be forgiven? Would you like to receive the eternal life that Jesus purchased for you? Would you like to know that the moment that you die, the moment your life ends here on earth, that in that moment you're going to go be with God? And you're going to spend eternity with Him. Wouldn't you like to know that? And if you answer that and said, absolutely, yes, I've messed up. I've dropped the ball. I've done wrong. How do I receive forgiveness from God? It's pretty simple. Romans 10, 9. There's a couple things there. It says you need to confess with your mouth. What am I confessing? That He is Lord. He's not a friend. He's not just my homie. He's not somebody I hang out with. He is is Lord of my life. I'm confessing with my mouth, but I'm believing in my heart that He is the Son of God, that He on the cross that day provided a way for me to come back to the Father. The Bible says confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. Jesus didn't ask you all that. He just simply says, do you believe me? Are you willing to accept what I've done for you? Are you willing to receive what I've given for you? You understand the whipping board, right? You understand you and I should have been there. To put it in modern day terms, you understand what an electric chair is. And you understand we should have been there. But Jesus says, I've made the way for you. All you got to do is receive. Repent of your sins and turn your life over to God. And be willing to follow Him, watch this, publicly. Not just privately. Publicly. Why? Because He said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my heavenly Father. But if you confess me before people, what did he say? He said, I'm going to confess you. So where are you at today? Stand with me all over the house. Where are you at? Are you ready and willing to receive the forgiveness that God 
made possible for us to receive. Those of you online, are you willing right now and ready to receive what Christ has done for you? Man, if you are, this is your moment. Don't you bow your heads with me all over the house. Those of you watching online, why don't you just bow your heads with me right now? Father, thank you. When we think about what you endured, when we think about the pain and the suffering, when we think about the cross, and even the pain you had to endure to drag yourself up and speak and say, Father, forgive them. God, we recognize that today. And Father, we want to be forgiven. We want to come back into a right relationship with God the Father. You have provided that for us. And Lord, all we have to do is confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, turn from our sins and follow you. And so right now, wherever you are, if you're in the house today, if you're online and you say, I want to receive him as my Lord and my Savior. For those of you in the house, would you just be willing to slip a hand? Say, Pastor, that's me. And I come into this place and quite honestly, I've been touched in my heart. And God, I need you. I need you. Those of you watching online, say, Pastor, right now, I, I want to receive Christ. It's pretty easy. We just simply pray this prayer. Let's, let's pray it together as a family. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Father, I believe that you died on the cross and you rose the third day. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me, to make me new. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to serve you publicly. I want to go all in for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen.